Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com/play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Hello everybody and welcome to a brand new podcast on Boundaryland here. My name is Dylan Pink. I got Sheldon Dehurdy on the show as usual with me, but today guys, we have a very special guest. We get a chance to speak to one of the best, if not perhaps the best cricket journalist that we have and we've seen. He's an accomplished cricket writer, a journalist, a commentator and with his unique insights and sharp analysis and passionate love for the game, he's established himself as one of the most prominent voices in the cricketing community. So, if I have to sum it up in one sentence, I'd say that no one analyzes cricket better than him. Please welcome Jared Kimber on the show, everybody. It's incredible the freshness you had to that, being it was the first time that you ever said it. <laughs> Thank you so much, Jared. Welcome to the show. We'll get straight into it, Jared. Uh, Sheldon, you can go ahead. Hey, Jared. Welcome on the show. No long introduction from me. I'll get straight to it. So, Jared, as we know, there's a small competition going on called the IPL. The thing I wanted to ask you about was the new impact rule. And what have you made about it? Do you think it's good for the game or not really? I think cricket is going towards substitutions. Uh, we've seen this before. We've seen the superstar sub. We've seen the big bash try something similar. I think it makes sense. It's always quite funny to me when you see an international team go to a World Cup with 15 players in their squad. And some of these T20 leagues now have 20, 25, 28 players around the squad Eventually, I'm hoping to see the best 10 batters go up against the best five bowlers. And that's uh, if it kills off bits and pieces players, and it's yeah. probably for the best. Yeah, makes sense. But keeping with the IPL and franchises, Jared, we've seen that now, and franchise cricket is growing a lot. And uh, recently, we got to know that the uh, Mumbai Indians have offered Jofra Archer, right? A thing. And uh, so, how do you think that's going to affect them, Jared, going ahead? Do you think that it's going to shift that side very soon? Uh, I think it really has. I don't know why people think the Joffre Archer thing is such a big um, <laughs> thing. Like Sri Lankan cricketers and West Indian cricketers for years, almost a decade in some cases, have put IPL contracts above everything else. So it's funny when it's suddenly an English player that it makes the news. Um, <laughs> uh, for, for instance, here's a good one. The uh, Scotland released a squad this year uh, for the World Cup qualifiers. And a lot of their best players are not playing. Um, and that's, I believe, I, I haven't talked to anyone in Scotland, but my guess is that it's because those players were not released from county cricket. So it's okay when it's county cricket and they completely gut aside, right? Like county cricket has been gutting teams of their best players for generations. Not just county cricket, but um, there used to be rich people in England who used to have, there's a guy called Julian Khan who had his own private cricket team. And he had some of the best uh, South African and New Zealand players playing for him in his backyard. Right. This is a guy that was so afraid of a cricket ball, he had blow up cricket pads, right? And he had Stewie Dempster, who was probably one of the world's best players, Aubrey Faulkner, one of the world's best players in his personal cricket team, right? Again, 
No one gave a shit when it was New Zealand, <laughs> right? Or South Africa or Sri Lanka. Oh, but wait a minute. Now it's really important because Jofra Archer might not play for England anymore. Well, all these cricket boards had a chance. They went out of their way to run cricket poorly for so long. And there's a better model out there. And, and it's come along. And even the BCCI, there's a lot of laughing from the BCCI at um, ECB and Cricket Australia over the last couple of years. Yeah. In 10 years' time, when the IPL owners are the most important people in the game, they're not going to listen to the BCCI either, right? And that's the yeah. truth of all this. And that's where it's going. The owners are the most important um, uh, people. Have a look at English football. Have a look at uh, baseball, yeah. NFL, basketball. It's not the leagues that are important. It's the people who own the teams that are important. And eventually that's going to be exactly what happens to cricket. And at that stage, it's uh, everyone for themselves. Rightly said, Janet. Totally agree. I mean, yeah, I just can't believe that it will it will be probably heading in that direction, especially, uh, you know, given the fact that ECB and BCCI will, will perhaps agree to all this. I don't know whether it will happen, but Jared, I'm sure, thinks that it will. But Jared, moving on to something that's going well, to be just, happening. Just to stop you. Yeah, it doesn't matter if they agree to it or not. These other people are more powerful than them now, yeah. right? Yeah. Unless yeah. the ECB is going to come in with a ten or twenty million dollar contract for Joffrey Archer, which Mumbai Indians could pay in a heartbeat without even noticing it out of their giant Lego house, yeah. right? Yeah. Look behind some of the sofas in the Ambani house, and they'll be able to find more money than the ECB <laughs> will be able to afford. This isn't a question of whether you're going to allow it. They allowed it once they opened cricket up to be like this, right? Yes. Once they took it beyond the national boards, once they decided for generations not to pay their players, right? When Ian Botham is the most famous guy in the UK outside of Margaret Thatcher, and he's making a couple of pesos from the national board, <laughs> right? That's when this was an issue. They had generation after generation to fix this problem, right? The, yeah. the BCCI, we don't know how much money they've made, but they've made somewhere between six and $8 billion over the last few years. Tell me one of the players who's on a couple of hundred million dollars from them, right? The money doesn't flow to the players. Yeah. Eventually, the players are going to go where the money is, right? And at this stage, I think the Ambani's have deeper pockets than the BCCI. I think some of the ownership, other ownership groups certainly have deeper pockets than the BCCI. 100%. And then if, you, if you're only got a two-month IPL tournament and you're getting paid to play outside of that, so it's not a case of whether... <laughs> and it's, this is the thing. In cricket, when I was talking about politics back in the day, everyone mm. would say, well, turkeys don't vote for Christmas. So, <laughs> right? The turkeys voted for Christmas. They've gone out of their way to do it. The, yeah. Big Bash and the 100 will eventually have private ownership as well. The turkeys are continually voting for Christmas and they, they haven't even noticed that that's the reason that they've been fattened up. IPL owners don't care if their BCCI make a lot of money because eventually they think they're going to make a lot more money. Rightly said, Jared. Yeah. And we'll see what's going to happen later on. But Jared, moving ahead to something that's about to happen pretty soon is the World Test Championship now. In the recent past, India have done well over Australia. So do you feel all that matters going ahead into this one-off match? Or do you feel that India, you know, can, can probably beat Australia again one more time? Oh, I mean, India can beat Australia. I don't think that's in question um i think australia are probably slight favorites with some of the injury concerns um you know if jasper Brummer was playing then things are obviously a little bit different from an uh, indian yeah. perspective australia look at the moment like they'll probably have a more full strength side um and their batting orders maybe a little bit has come together a bit quicker than india's has but it's not like australia are like a 70 percent favorite and in india like 30 percent. it's probably 55 45 maybe even closer than that which is yeah. you know a perfectly reasonable place to be in so yeah india have every chance of winning that game i don't think anyone would suggest they don't jad keeping in with test cricket obviously a big series coming up is the ashes 
you know, a lot of talk from Robinson, from McGrath, from pretty much everyone, you know, coming into this series. Uh, what are your thoughts on it? Baseball, Australia, will the World Test Championship final play any part to it or you feel it's its own series? Uh, well, I mean, the World Test Championship is a good warm-up for Australia, but it also means it's a six-test series, right? Not a five-test yeah. series. Whereas England, Ireland is slightly not quite the same. Although, to be fair, uh, I was there when Ireland played at Lords last time and then was rolled England, well, rolled them for... Very few runs in the first innings. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so, th- th- you know, if they could do something like that again, then that will change their complexion of that. But they've both got, f- I'd say in some ways, they both got very good warm-ups. The difference is that England might be like, well, if we lose to Ireland, it's not the end of the world. Whereas Australia is thinking, here's a chance to win our first World Test Championship. So uh, from that perspective, Australia has six major tests. Um, I'm not interested in anything that players or former players say. It's almost all bullshit. Uh <laughs> I started covering these things in 2009, but if you go back through the history of it, it's just like, I, I don't know why anyone takes it seriously. I'm not even sure why it's reported on yeah. uh, most of the time, right? So one team thinks they're going to win and one team thinks the other team's going to win. Uh, you know, their team's going to win. I'm shocked. I'm absolutely shocked. <laughs> How do we get a headline out of that? The baseball thing's interesting just because when the pitches were helpful, England weren't particularly baseball-y against, uh, well, uh, I suppose South Africa is the best example of that. Australia have a similar attack to South Africa. You know, it's pace and movement. You know, uh, that's not quite the case with the New Zealand attack. They're more a movement uh, dependent uh, attack. Uh, One thing I I noticed that when New Zealand beat England um, at home, that was a pit. They put the, brought the wicketkeeper up to the stumps, which means that England couldn't change the length of the pitch over and over again, which has been, uh, it's funny for all the attacking nature about baseball, people have noticed that maybe the most interesting thing is where they're batting on the crease. And uh, with the wicketkeeper up, they couldn't do that, which meant that you could just hit a good length over and over again, which kept them on pressure. And they look like the same old England batting lineup suddenly again. The problem for Australia is uh, you're not going to be standing up the stumps of Josh Hazelwood, Mitchell Stark, yeah. you know, Pat yeah. Cummins, uh, <laughs> probably Scotty Boland as well, or Michael Nisa or, you know, whoever they find uh, to throw in there. So yeah, from, from those perspectives, I, I think it's quite an interesting series, but yeah, I, I don't care what players say about <laughs> things ever, almost, almost ever. If they're talking about cricket, I'm interested, but yeah. n- the thing is that you, on, 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 on these sorts of shows and uh, you know, that these guys go on, they're asked for what their series is going to be. Well, no one knows what the series is going to be because yeah. Glenn McGrath yeah. could trip over on a cricket ball, right? We, we yeah. don't actually know. We don't know what <laughs> yeah. the surface is going to play yeah. like. We don't know if uh, for whatever, some player is going to be dropped off. Go, go back to the last Ashes. I think we can all agree that Australia was a far superior side, but yeah. I think England dropped 11 catches before Australia dropped one. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. If they both dropped five catches coming into that point, I don't know, maybe England was doing better in that series. They had a little bit more confidence at the end um, and they can, you know, and the bubble nature of it didn't get to them. We don't know what randomness is going to uh, uh, come out. So listening to players make prognostications is, you know, it's a waste of our time. Rightly said, Jared. And moving on, uh, Jared, we're seeing a lot of Indian batsmen with the likes of Kohli and Rohit and everyone. They're struggling to get some runs right now, correct? And uh, now you have guys like uh, Shubman Gill, you have Yashasvi Jaiswal, you've got Rinku Singh and all these guys who can just come out and smack it right from ball one almost, right? And we've we've already seen a generational shift, Jared, um, you know, back in 2006-2007 when MS went out uh, with the young Indian side and won that World Cup and I think you mentioned that in, in one of your videos. Also, I'll put the link in the description, guys. You guys must check that out, what Jared says and uh, I think the BCC, I should also probably watch that because that's some crazy analysis there. But Jared, my question is, we've already 
seen Hardik leading this side, right? And do you think now India should probably look to rebuild now, take a new team in, into the next World Cup and go with, with the likes of Gil and Jaiswal and Rinku and uh, everything like that? I'm not sure they need a rebuild. I think what they it doesn't matter what players they take if they get to the next World Cup and all their players crap themselves again, right? And essentially that's what's happening. And it is partly to do with Indian, I want to say Indian culture, but that's the wrong way of putting it, but Indian cricket culture, yeah, which is, which at this stage is, do you remember when Sky made those ducks? Yeah. A couple yeah. of ducks in the one day. Was, yeah. And everyone was like, he's a dud, get rid of him. Right. <laughs> exactly. And then the next IPL is great. Kale Rowell had those five bad innings in a row and then was like player of the tournament. Right. You can't have proper conversations about Indian cricket anymore. And I think during bilaterals, that matters less. Because I think during bilaterals, the only people who care are the cricket fans. And while they are catered to, overall, it's still a small portion of Indian cricket society that care about cricket, right? I know that sounds weird, but if you actually do the maths, it's, maybe it's 20%, right? And that's huge. During a World Cup, that 20% is 50%, Yeah. right? And every conversation is about Indian cricket. There is absolutely no doubt that there is a mindset just bringing new players in isn't 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 the fix because we've seen those new players come in before. I do think there is an old-fashioned way to the way that Rohit Sharma, Virat Kohli, KL Rahul are playing their cricket. Uh, yeah. the, the bowlers as well, defensive-minded bowlers. You know, it, it seems that India is very good at doing white ball players who can make a lot of runs but slower than they should. And very good defensive bowlers who don't take as many wickets as they, they should. And they pick the safe options. And so they get to those tournaments. And that's usually fine until you get to the top teams, right? And yeah. uh, you, you look at Australia in that World Cup that they won, what was it, uh, 2021? They had a bunch of risky options in that. Mitchell exactly. Marsh, yeah. they, they dropped Mitchell Marsh in the middle of that tournament and he ended yeah. up winning them the tournament. Marcus Stoinis, uh, uh, you know, had to bowl overs for them. They knew Marcus Stoinis is not a good bowler. Matthew Wade had never really batted in the middle order successfully ever before, right? Yeah. But they like they didn't think they had a better option than Matthew Wade. India would never do any of that stuff, right? They wouldn't take True. those sorts of chances. Yeah. Well, Marcus Stoinis and Matthew Wade won the semi-final and Mitchell Marsh won the final. The final right? for them, yeah. And it, I, I've said this before, KL Rahul, I can't remember if it was 2018, whichever year it was, the year where he swapped teams uh, from RCB, he was probably one of the best T20 players in the world at that stage. Yeah. And from that point onward, he's been one of the best at cons conserving his wicket. And he certainly had some good years. But overall, his impact isn't that big. And we can tell that in part because his teams haven't won. And forget the international stuff where I think he's, I think a little bit of it is just dumb luck because I think if, if he played as many, <laughs> I think if he played as many international games as he had IPL games, it's like, are we really saying that Virat Kohli doesn't get up for RCB? and does for international teams. Like there's yeah. always randomness in those yeah. sorts of exactly. records that you have yeah. to ignore, but fans don't do that. It's like, it's like in the NBA at the moment, it's like Anthony Davis is really good in game in, in odd number series in the playoffs and really bad in even number series. Do you think he's got a phobia of even numbers? Like <laughs> at a certain point, like if Kyle Rowell can make runs against the best players in the world in the IPL, and I've proven that again and again by numbers, yeah. Yeah. right? He's, he's fine from that perspective, but that isn't my issue with Kyle Rowell. If, if he's not informed at the right time and, and everything else, that's one thing. The bigger issue is even when he's batting the way they want him to bat, well, he's batting the same way as Rohit and Virat. That's exactly. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and you should have one of those players in the team and you have three. So I don't want Rinku Singh or Jaiswal or, or Shubman <laughs> Gill or any of those guys in because yeah. it's going to change anything because 
Kale Raul was an incredibly attacking player, yeah. got into the Indian setup and suddenly went defensive. Yeah. That's a far bigger conversation. And then you have Raul Dravid who comes in and, you know, obviously I'm friends with him and have worked with him before, but he came in, wow. said every, he wanted everyone to be really, really attacking. They got to the world cup and they made a decision not to do that. <laughs> they they told defensive. us. Yeah. yeah. They said, oh, actually the wickets are a bit different, which is fine if you want to read it on each individual wicket basis. Right. This isn't about individual players. This is about an overall mindset of the cricket culture. And I think that is far beyond um, something that you can fix by picking a couple of players who are attacking. I've seen a similar thing happened in Australia in the mid-90s with their ODI cricket, hmm. where they sort of came at it from an angle of, oh, you know, we'll get rid of Mark Taylor and we'll bring in Greg Blewett and, and you know, these other, and, and that will fix all these problems. That's not what eventually fixed the problems. What eventually fixed the problems was they they had a look at the systemic faults of their team. And they realized that since the 80s, they hadn't been a pioneering team. They basically rebuilt one day cricket in the late, you know, mid to late 80s uh, with this new method. And then New Zealand and then Sri Lanka completely moved it forward. Yeah. Pakistan as well. And Australia hadn't caught up to any, oh, South Africa. All these teams had all these South different Africa, methods yeah. and they hadn't tried any of them. And if you look at the 99 World Cup, they actually tried quite a bit in that 99 World Cup. And in some ways, they got away with it just because Shane Warne won. But by 2003, they're again um, a much better team than everyone else. Yeah, that There's no reason why India can't do something like that. But you have to be honest. And at the moment, I, I don't know. I, I know that the BCCI and people inside the Indian team have seen my video series. I know they agree <laughs> with some of it. I'm sure they disagree wow. with some of it as well, which is more than fine. But... It's not an easy fix because I think that usually when I make a video like this, doesn't matter if it's the Indian team or I don't know, yeah. some women's hundreds team you've never heard of that I do big analysis <laughs> on, right? More often than not, the team, the people who work at the team know, but they don't necessarily understand how to fix it. And I think, you know, and I've been in the situation. I work with Scotland. I'm, you know, I remember a commentator coming up to me when we were losing a bunch of games and, and he was like, what's going on? Why is Scotland like this? And like, I just, I didn't know how to answer it. And they went, yeah. It was a stupid question because if you knew what if you knew what to do, you would be doing it. And sometimes that's what happens. But the other side of it is you know what to do, but you can't bring it back anyway, right? Yeah, and yeah. true. I think Raul Driver did everything right from for, you know the way that he was setting up that team. And then when they got there, they decided to go back to what they do. And I don't know if he played a part in that or or not. Uh, you know, I don't know who all the various decision makers are. But once they did that, they probably put themselves in a, in a situation where. Certainly Pakistan and England had the ability to play beyond them. Yeah. Right. Yeah, true, and Australia yeah. might have as well. New Zealand, you're never quite sure because New Zealand sort of play a similar sort of game. And that's the other hilarious thing is New Zealand actually <laughs> played the style that India um, do. And everyone goes, great. Wow. New Zealand's done really well again. And with India, we all go, oh, they've done horribly again. And it's not like New Zealand are winning that many more trophies than India are. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Jad, you mentioned crapping the bed. So that goes on, <laughs> on to my next question. South Africa at ICC events. I mean, where do we start? You know, so many tournaments. I was there in 2015. I was, I was watching that game and I was in tears, Jad. Like seeing Monet Markle and Dale Stain and all of them. Do you think there's much they could change on that? Because they're going to another World Cup where the players are doing well in India. Obviously, we're seeing Klaassen doing well in the IPL. He looks like the best player of spin. Do you feel they have a chance in this World Cup? Or is it going to be Rain or Duckworth-Lewis or something to knock them out again? Or maybe, I, see, uh... I don't think Rain and Duckworth-Lewis has ever been their problem. <laughs> yeah. right? I think that their overall problem is generally that they favor bits and pieces all-rounders. I don't think there's a particular tournament that you can look at 
where they've had the failure. I have to go back through them all. I've done analysis on this as well, but I can't remember yeah. it all off the top of my head. But more often than not, they've had a weakness in their side and the other teams have exploited that weakness. I would say their bigger issue is that they are not a particularly flexible side and they never have been. It's not mm -hmm. the way that South Africans think about cricket. They're very didactic. You know, the amount of times coming into a tournament, they had a better record than Australia or, or whoever yeah. the best team was yeah. at that time, but certainly Australia on, on a lot of those occasions. But that was because they found a method that worked and they will do that game in, game out, game in, game out, game in, yeah. game out. That's not how the most important games at World Cups are played. World Cups are about working out what your game B, C, D, E, and F is because yeah. the conditions are suddenly going to dictate yeah because you are now not going up against the thing going through the motions but one of the best teams in the world they have if they've seen you play for three or four years they're going to know how to attack you yeah, and, so, and yeah. i think again and again if you look at south africa that is the bigger issue than choking and if the 99 world cup one is the famous one yeah listen yeah. to damien Fleming, and he's the bowler in that situation right for australia listen to him talk about it what does he say australia were choking too Right, both yeah, teams yeah. absolutely paid. Paul Rifle dropped a catch that should have won the game. Australia were all over the place in the field. They got their bowling plans wrong. They didn't know what to do with Lance Klusner at all. They were terrified by Lance Klusner. Right? You look at some of those other teams and some of those other events, and you know you realize that quite often what South Africa will do is they will either get themselves ahead of the game and then they will take their foot off the off the pedal, or they'll put their foot on the uh, they'll uh, put their foot on the brake early on and they'll get their team into a situation where they're a little bit too far behind, right? Mm -hmm. It's a really, really clear pattern, right? And if you're playing a team like New Zealand in 2011, that was not as talented as a team as the South African was, but yeah. that was a very adaptable, smart team, yeah. right? That will think their way through a problem. And again, I'm starting to think that Aiden Markham is the perfect representation of South African cricket. <laughs> <laughs> He's incredibly smart. He's yeah. incredibly talented. And he's built like a tree, right? <laughs> he can kind of do, he should be able to do everything. At this stage, Aiden Markram should be in the top five batters in the world. He should be South Africa's captain. He should yeah. be the, one of the best players at the IPL, right? I looked at this recently. Aiden Markram cannot rotate strike. He has a worse average in ODI cricket when rotating strike than he does when attacking. Do you know who does that? <laughs> No one does that, right? <laughs> Shahid Afridi yeah. doesn't do that, right? <laughs> Everyone can rotate strike. Those are the sorts of things under that high level of pressure that there are too many of those South African players, like Rassi gets behind the rate. Yeah. And, you know, uh, JP Dumini, you know, would always, he, JP Dumini would always play these kind of MS Dhoni, Michael Bevan innings, but without the finishing skills, skills right? yeah yeah and so they get themselves into these positions so you talk about 1992 world cup they were massively behind in that game yeah right yeah you talk about the um the duckworth lewis game in 2003 Three, they yeah. lost a lot of wickets in that game and if the rain wasn't so heavy Murley probably wins the game for them anyway just yeah. because at that stage he's going you know i mean he was bowling with a, a paper towel by the end of that game right <laughs> <laughs> and so you go through, and I do think that there is something about the way that South Africa have prepared for tournaments. And it's, and it's really interesting because, as I said, in 1999, they were quite pioneering. And then they just run up against a slightly better team. From that point forward, I would say that they just went with the fact that they were consistently good and that it would come together. But if you look at, I said all two tournaments long, 
first world T20 and the second world T20. They don't bat deep enough. It's eventually going to catch them. Yeah. Who does it catch them against? The Netherlands of all teams, right? <laughs> but if you yeah. came to my podcast the day before, people, Pakistani fans, well, what are the chances? I said, Netherlands have got a really good chance. Netherlands are wicket takers, right? They get three or four wickets here and there's a mix up. All of South Africa's batting, and I've, I've done a, a video on this as well. All of South Africa's batting rests on the fact that Rassi um, and David Miller never go out. They're going to go out occasionally. <laughs> yeah. Right? True. Yeah. And then who's at number seven? Some of their number sevens are like people on our, on this podcast are almost at the level of batting as their number sevens, yeah. right? They just throw in anyone, <laughs> you know, to bat at number seven. Maharaj. What? <laughs> Rabada. Test cricket. They do the same thing. Yeah. That's a massive weakness. And if you go back, they used to build weaknesses into their sides because they had Kluzner and they had Pollock and they had um, Callus, but yeah. they would still like have someone like JP Dumini that they would thrust into their side. It's not that he's a bad cricketer or anything else or, or anything like that, but he wasn't particularly ever suited to that six or seven position. And he couldn't, he wouldn't enforce his will on, on the situation. And you're like, you've got other players there. They were always doing things like that. Players that you look back on and like, well, this should have been, I don't know, Callus, Callus is your, let's say, sixth bowler. Callus and Kluzner sharing overs. And then Pollock batting at number, what would he be in that situation? Number eight. Number eight. That's a great team. Why are you mucking around with it? <laughs> all, right? Why are you trying to fit another all-rounder in all the time? And you look at some of the players. Like I remember at one stage, I had a guy playing for them called Derek Crooks, who I think his bowling average was 50 and his batting average was 15. They're so obsessed with, with, with these weird things. So they used to be obsessed with trying to bat to like eight, nine, or 10. And here's the truth that no one will ever tell you about, uh, about batting to eight, nine, or 10. There are some reasons why it makes a lot of sense. But yeah. If you bat at number eight for your or number seven for your first class team, you're probably still a number nine at international level when you have to face Glenn McGrath or Shane Moore. Yeah, right. True. Because those things don't transfer over. And I, I just feel that with South Africa, there was always something to exploit with them. There's always been a built-in weakness. And so if I was running that team, I'd be going, can we ever go in with a team that doesn't have a weakness? Or when we play the Netherlands, maybe that's the time that Aidan Markram has to bowl four overs, right? Or whoever it is, whoever the extra all-rounder is or whatever, right? That's the game against the Netherlands. There's no way the Netherlands can score more than about 170 against you. So you send out a strengthened batting lineup, you make 180, and you've still got Rabada and Nokia and everyone else. And you go, if the Netherlands can do that, that's great. But yeah. they went in with the exact same strategy that they had used against India and other teams. That tells you how inflexible they are with the way they think about these things. And I think that's their biggest issue and always has been. Rightly said, guys. And uh, if you want to watch that video, I'm going to put the link in the description there. Jared explains it so beautifully there. And you guys have to check it out. It's it's really brilliant. But Jared, moving on, Jared, to the future of 50 over cricket. Uh, should they finally scrap this bilateral series? Because I think it's pointless, like you also mentioned earlier. But what do you think is going to happen, Jared, right now? Because many others are saying that this could be the last World Cup in this format. Oh, it won't be the last World Cup in this format. It makes billions and the ICC can't afford to lose it. Follow the money, guys. <laughs> you know, if things make money, they, they don't get rid of it. There's a reason why Test Cricket still exists, right? Like, 
Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes I hear some of the commentary and I was like, you guys need to look at the sums, right? Um, World Cup will make, will uh, continue around. I think eventually in the future, the way that cricket's going, it will be the second most important World Cup. And then maybe in a few years, we won't have it anymore. But if we're still playing bilateral ODIs, we're sure as hell going to be playing uh, World Cups. Just if it's nothing, as long as Pakistan and India still pay, pay some money, um, when that game pays some money, the, the World Cup is still a, a very important thing. So no, I'm not particularly worried about it from, from that point of view but yeah i mean, i think the i uh, or not the icc the, the cricket teams themselves who make their own schedules had a chance to really look at this and go what's important and what's not and they haven't really done that yet they're still at a point where i think england's england's schedule's t- terrible so I, I wouldn't want to say that they're the smartest but england are getting very very good at the fact of loading up with a bunch of t20s before a t20 tournament and loading up with a bunch of odis before an odi tournament yeah that's the only way to do it in the future um you still make money off those though i think (laughs) the thing with the thing is when people say things like uh, you know odi cricket is not as popular as it used to be i could be wrong but my guess is that the the money that you can make off india playing a team in odi cricket is still probably more than one off ipl game and I think that's the case pretty much everywhere in the world. Like, I could be wrong. You know, maybe, maybe there's somewhere where that's not the case, but I don't think so. So they're going to exist while they're making money. And, and that's part of the problem with this T20 model is that it's like, you've got a three-week tournament, you've got a six-week tournament, you've got an eight-week tournament. You've still got 10 months of the year. And so yeah. they're just going to cram in internationals for the rest, for the rest of that year until they get to the point where their tournament is long enough. Um, and, you know, most of the tournaments are not big enough or good enough to be long enough, if that makes sense. Yeah, I just feel I think uh, they'll they'll probably have it uh, until Virat Kohli breaks all the records and then, yeah, I don't know what's going to happen. Probably Scrabble after that. But Sheldon, you you have a question for Jared. Jared, as we know, this is a World Cup year. So what, what do you think about it? Who are the favourites? Could India break the ICC jinx? Or could England go again? Or maybe even Australia? Yeah, I, I think coming in, you probably got... I, I think there's certainly a, a tier at the moment. I'm not sure where I keep South Africa in that yeah. tier because their team doesn't quite make sense to me. But there's there's no doubt that India, Australia, England, and then you've got New Zealand and, and Pakistan and probably South Africa. We don't see these teams play enough one-day cricket. So England England played a bunch of games in South Africa one, uh, recently and all their players were talking about the fact they don't play one-day cricket anymore. They don't even know how to do it, <laughs> right? And so... We're going to be guessing at how good people are going to are going to go. Um, the best players are not always available for their teams anymore. We don't see many of those. I think England's pro- probably still the favourite for for me, but I'm not as confident as a, in them as I was in the last two T20 World Cups. So yeah. I don't think they're a massive favourite. There's no reason why India can't win a one day. I almost think the one day World Cup should be more set up for them than the T21, where I yeah. think that, yeah. their issues are even more exposed. And then look, essentially. It's a bit of a weird tournament because you just have to be good enough to make the top four. Yeah, and then yeah. as New Zealand showed last time, New Zealand, you know, went within a heartbeat of winning that World Cup yeah. without particularly playing any better than Pakistan who didn't make the finals at all, right? Yeah, so true. at that top level, that's all you have to do. You just have to come up with a system that allows you to win consistently on the way through. And then it's about problem solving at the, at the top level. And England were a very didactic, one-dimensional team for a long time. And they're a lot more flexible now. Australia have been a little bit didactic as well. Oh, they were good in that first World Cup, but they're not as good in that second World Cup. Is maybe the best way of putting it. 
but New Zealand are very good at fixing problems on the fly. Um, that hasn't been India's strength. So it'd be really interesting to see if those are the sorts of things that they can uh, think about going forward. Absolutely, Jared. Uh, we'll also have to wait and watch and see what happens in the World Cup there. But thank you so much, Jared. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on this podcast. Guys, I'm going to mention Jared's YouTube channel below and all the other links to the other videos that we've mentioned. Please go and subscribe to his channel. Follow him on social media. And thank you so much, Jared. It's been an absolute pleasure once again having you on the show. And we will definitely look forward to your things that you put up on, on YouTube very regularly. Thank you so much, Jared. No worries. Thanks, Thanks for having Jared. me. Cheers. Sports Social Podcast Network.